So forgiveness. This is a theme in the Bible that you see in the Old Testament that was done by the death of animals year after year. And, and you know, I'm not a Jew, so I don't understand that whole, the, the bloody religion. I mean, but that was a bloody religion. They're always, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. I'm just a Gentile, sinner saved by grace. I don't have any clue about the whole Old Testament sacrificial system, but if you were a Jew, you would have. And during the time when Jesus rode into town, of course, the Jews were being occupied by the Romans at the time. They were pagans, and they were under occupation and oppression, yet they were still free to do all of their religious ceremonies. Like they, you know, they still had the temple, and they were still um, uh, sacrificing animals, and they put blood on the altar, and so they received this temporary forgiveness. But then Jesus cruises into town on his old beat-up hoopty donkey, right? And why did he do that? It wasn't for Miga, make Israel great again. It wasn't for Miga. It wasn't to make Israel great again. And it wasn't, um, you know, to make the conservatives woke or <laughs> the flaming left-wing liberals to be conservative. And they had both factions, by the way. They had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They had, they had the liberals and the conservatives. And Jesus wasn't trying to set the record straight with those guys. So it wasn't even to politically or culturally or economically free up this oppressed people. Jesus came and he rode in on his donkey to then walk up to a cross to be crucified for the sins of the world, to be laid in a tomb, and three days later rise again from the dead. Mike and Christy, did you go to the empty tomb? Yes. yes. I had the privilege of going also to the empty tomb uh, years ago, and I'm glad I was able to go. And I was actually, I had the privilege of preaching there to preachers and to people that were all in our group and they picked certain spots where different people had opportunities to give a message. And they said, Neil, we want you to speak at the tomb. And it was like the, the pinnacle and the height of, um, I guess, uh, excitement for me. Because here I was sharing the gospel to people. And right behind me was, was a tomb where Jesus was laid 2,000 years ago. And he's not there. I remember when we, were, we ministered in Utah, I would take people on, on temple tours of the Mormons, you know. And I'm like, hey, I want to show you something. There's this little spot off by the temple. And I'm like, hey, check this out. It was Brigham Young's grave. And I'm like, hey, check this out. And it was one of his wives. I'm like, hey, wait, come on, more. There's more. He had all these wives' graves. All these, like, graves of his wife. And, and he was there. And, you know, but you could go to the tomb of Muhammad. You could go to the tomb of just anyone. Um, and they're still there. But you go to the tomb of Jesus. He's not there. Spoiler alert, I know, I'm, I was supposed to save that for Easter, but. <laughs> but here's what I want to say about this idea of forgiveness. So Jesus is riding into town, and he's, he's set on purpose. He needed to go to the cross. Remember, they didn't catch Jesus off guard. Uh, he, he said, I will lay down my life, and I will raise it up again. So he wasn't a martyr. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't accidental, but this, we're what we're talking about today is the gospel, and the gospel is a two-sided coin. What do I mean by that? Go to the next slide. On the one hand, 
You have the death of Christ. That's the cross. That's the death. That's the shedding of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, the Bible says. I know that sounds weird to us. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But God says that's the currency. It's not money. It's not good works. It's not your good intentions. It's not your promises. It's not anything you could do. It's the death of Jesus. That provides forgiveness. But wait a second. If he just died, couldn't, couldn't other people just die too and just call it like, hey, I did this for you guys? Yeah, I, anyone could have just died. But Jesus not only died, that's the first half of the gospel, but he rose again from the dead, the resurrection. That's the second half of the gospel. So Keith, if I were to be like, ching, here's a penny. <laughs> nice catch. Um, when you get the gospel, you get the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It's a two-for-one. It's a twofer. Remember when the money used to say, it still does, right? And in, in God we trust. We're going to a digital currency, so I wonder if our digital currency will say in God we trust. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But you get the idea. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So in order to have eternal life, we must first receive eternal forgiveness. And we can't have the one without the other. We can't just have the death of Christ, and we can't just have the resurrection of Christ. You need them both. You need both of them. So what this means for us is if we don't finalize the death of Jesus, we'll never realize the depths of his life. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, Romans chapter 5. It'll be on the screen. For we have been without strength, without ability, without, without our own ingenuity uh, to pull this off. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly is not a behavioral comment. It's just a, it's an identity comment. Un means you know, without, without God. Those that were without God. He died for those that did not know God. And it wasn't their fault. They just didn't know. For one with difficulty um, die for a righteous person, yet perhaps will one even dare die for a good one. Think about, think about this. In, in times of war, some people will take a bullet for another person. Some people will push people out of the way and get hit by a car. Those are rare acts of sacrificial examples. But what the Bible is saying is, yes, that does happen, and that's rare. That's what that thing means. But God demonstrated his love. He proved, he commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus didn't say, hey, clean up your life, make some promises, go to church, start writing checks to missions, and then we'll see. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, catch you, you know, I'll catch you on the flip side. He said, basically, when we were low down, yellow-bellied, sap-sucking you know, <laughs> snakes, God died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we're not just saved by the death of Jesus. We're saved by the life of Jesus. He rose from the dead, but he had to die. That was his purpose of Palm Sunday was riding into Jerusalem. He was examined for four days, just like the Passover lamb was. And ironically, and not ironically, like it was an accident, the same day where they killed the Passover lamb, Jesus, the lamb of God, was being crucified right outside the camp. Golgotha, you guys probably saw it. It was right next to the garden tomb. And um, Calvary, one's, uh, you know, this says the same thing of the same place of skull. 
And it, they crucified Jesus right there. And it was public humiliation because in that form of capital punishment by the Romans, it was a main thoroughfare back in the time. It's not now. And it's ironic that there's a, there's a Muslim, a very famous Muslim tomb up there. And because the Muslims hold the rights to that, they, they call it sacred, which is cool for the Christians because we're like, oh, cool. That's okay. Your, your dead Muslim dude could be up there because it kind of preserves that place. And then you can look at it and say, there's Calvary, um, there's Golgotha, the place of skull. When you look at it, it looks like a skull, and it was a place of death, but it was also a place where when people were coming into Jerusalem, they would look and just kind of be like, ugh, you know, those are the criminals, and those, you know, those are the... Um, I think, really, when you think about capital punishment in in ancient times and medieval times, because one of my favorite museums was in Rotenburg, out of Tauber, and there was an international crime museum there, and they had so many different ways to humiliate people. They had pincers. Mitch, if you were a bad musician, they had this iron mask that would come out and make a horn, and you have to wear it around town. They had the Iron Maiden chair. They had the dunk tank for the witches. They had all these weird things, and of course, they were steeped with religious superstition, but I think at the end of the day, what it really was, was not that they were sadistic and getting off on like medieval torture. I think what they were really doing, like if you go to Europe and you go where there's a big town center, that's where everyone would gather, but then they would, they would do all this stuff publicly in that town square. And they would say, see, here's the person that did X, Y, and Z. And they'd have some sort of some sort of punishment for that. And I think really what it was, was not just evil you know, sadism, is that it? Okay, not that, but it was more of a deterrent. And I think the crucifixion was so severe, it was like, it was such a deterrent. Like, that's not that they wanted to do that, but here's what we think about crime so much that if you do this could happen, so maybe we'll scare you, we'll scare straight you um, into performing the right way. I think that was kind of what was going on. Needless to say, Jesus was put to an open shame, and he was crucified there. But he wasn't crucified. He wasn't taking the bullet for good people. He was dying for enemies, which makes this, this an elevated gospel. And here's my thought. Pharisees, the Bible says, and Jews, yes, they help one another. Yes, they, you know, neighbors help neighbors, and People are kind of generally kind to one another and stuff like that. And sometimes you might take a bullet for someone. Sometimes you might push someone out. Sometimes you might make a sacrifice for a good people. Rare. But would you do that for an enemy? That's what God's trying to say. He says, even while you were an enemy, middle finger and fist to heaven, even while you didn't even care or acknowledge, God said, I'm going to show them this type of unearthly, extraterrestrial love. I'm going to come down and demonstrate this type of love that's never been seen. No one dies for enemies. No one, no one loves enemies. No one does that. So Jesus did it openly. So Easter coming up. Go to the next slide. I want to bring this up. So Jesus died. He was buried and rose again. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and our faith is yet also... I'm going to move this so it doesn't do that anymore, hopefully. Your faith is also in vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, 
whom he raised up, if so be that the dead uh, rise not. For if the dead not rise, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. My thought on this, like, if Jesus, if this whole Easter thing's a sham, if the tomb that I went to is, you know, if let's just say that's a scam, this like a 2,000-year-old fairy tale that we just keep like perpetuating and stuff like that, if this whole thing's like just not real, like let's just let's let's shut the church, let's sell the property, let's go to a bar, watch some sports, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If this whole thing's just a hoax, right? Let's go to the beach. I mean, we live like a few miles from there. What are we doing here? Right? <laughs> Why go through the motions? Did you see on uh, do you see the Jesus doll? I'm thinking about, we're thinking about Easter presents. Uh, spoiler alert, Adam, but there's a Jesus doll. He's stuffed and you could squeeze his, and he says, he says things. But why get a Jesus doll if you didn't rise from the dead? Why get a Jesus doll at all? But Jesus came to die, to rise again from the dead so that we might live. But he had to die. He had to die. Let me illustrate it to you this way. We were forgiven to be filled. Go to the next slide. We were forgiven to be filled. Now, I've given this illustration like a year or two ago, and you might remember it. Some of you might not. But when we, remember, Jen, when we moved into our house, they had this, they had uh, uh, a lot of basements. In California, they don't have basements. In Utah, they did. But they had basements, and there was all these mason jars. And you're like, what do you, why do you collect empty mason jars for? What's with the collection of mason jars? And for them, it was different reasons. But no one just collects empty jars to just have a collection of empty jars. You have a jar so you could fill it. And when you fill it, you seal it. And after you seal it, you put a label on it. If you put peach preserves in it, the label on the outside describes what's on the inside. But first, if you're going to fill a jar, you have to clean it. And so what, if you think about the first half of the gospel, what God is doing is he's taking the lid off, he's cleansing you out as a vessel, he's filling you with his life and his spirit, that's forgiveness, he forgives you, the cleansing part, and then he fills you, and then he seals it up. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit into the day of redemption. That, to me, this, this little simple mason jar describes the gospel um, in a nutshell. You were cleansed, you were filled, and then you were sealed by Jesus. So that's the, that's the gospel um, concept. Now, moving along, though, so this is our forgiveness between us and God. If you'll go to the next slide, we need, he completely forgave us by his death to completely fill us with his life. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. So what we need is vertical and horizontal forgiveness. What Jesus did at the cross is he took care of the horizontal or the vertical forgiveness. Me and God, we're good to go. We're good to go. But what we need to do on a regular basis is the horizontal forgiveness between you and I. But if we don't really own this basic gospel truth about total, absolute, final, forever forgiveness between us and God, our forgiveness between each other uh, may be faulty. 
For example, look at these verses. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, Forbear one another. Forbear one another. Bear, bear the weight like a bearing wall. Forbear one another and forgive yourselves. If anyone has a complaint, a beef, a strife, an issue against anyone, as Christ forgave you, so also you do. And think about the context there. As Christ forgave you, how did he forgive you? When you deserved it? No. He forgave us at our worst. He says, it's the same way you received this forgiveness as the same way you give it out. So he says, you guys, hold one another up. Forgive, forgive yourself. That's, that's also an application, but forgive ourselves. And if anyone has a complaint... Forgive as you've been forgiven. But to the extent that you don't understand and I don't understand the first half of the gospel, the crucifixion of Christ, unforgiven people are going to be unforgiving. Forgiven people are going to be forgiving people. That's why I'm saying if we don't get the first half of the gospel, we won't live out the rest of the gospel. We won't extend something that we do not understand or have not received ourselves. So the next verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the Bible says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has, has forgiven you. Look at the tense. He's writing to Christians, and he says, Listen, Christians at Ephesus, be kind to one another. Be tender. Be tenderhearted one to another. Forgive one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So he says, you can be forgiving because you have been forgiven. You can be forgiving because you have already been forgiven. Because Jesus rode, rode up on a donkey. He walked up to a cross, was laid in a tomb, and then he stepped out to step into you and I. And so we can forgive because we have the forgiver. So we desperately need to receive and believe the truth of our final once and for all forgiveness. I'm going to kind of quote some other people here, and you're going to see I've arranged, I've curated these quotes based on our vertical forgiveness, what people have said, and then our horizontal forgiveness based on what some people have said. Go to the first quote. <clears throat> Christ died for what we've done but he rose again to be what you are now. We had to be cleansed of everything we were so that we could receive everything that he is. Go to the next one. God not only gives us a new life in Christ, but a new past. Our sins are not only completely forgiven, but they are completely forgotten. Go to the next one. Because of God's grace, his unmerited favor toward us, he freely forgives the blackest and vile of sinners who comes to him through Christ. Go to the next one. Forgiveness. It's once for all or nothing at all. Any middle ground is an insult to the blood and cross of Jesus. So you kind of get the idea there that it's just forgiveness. It's a total package. Jesus said what he meant and meant what he said when he said, it's finished. I'm taking care of the sin problem. You don't have any religious systems to get rid of it. There's no more animals to be killed. There's no more like good intentions. There's no, there no more groveling. There's no more trying, struggling, and striving. We look back 2,000 years ago at this week 
what Jesus set out to accomplish, he really set out to accomplish. I mean, he really accomplished the task that he set out to be. You could accept it or you could reject it, but that's what he set out to do, and that's in fact what happened. Let's go to the, so if you re, if you receive that this message, then you're forgiven. And here's what forgiven people look like in action. Forgiveness forgiveness has nothing to do with absolving a criminal of his crime. It has everything to do with relieving oneself of the burden of being a victim, letting go of the pain, and transforming oneself from victim to victor. Because really, if you're forgiven by God, you could then forgive others who have wronged and offend you, including enemies. What forgiveness does, and, and I'm learning this in therapy and counseling, there's so much unforgiveness and what it does is it's almost like it's like that ulcer or that cancer or that just virus that just it, it like eats you up inside because that unforgiveness leads to like resentment and bitterness and and even if the person's dead, I would never suggest in, in the area of forgiveness, hey, go go forgive them, go golfing with them, or frisbee golf, it's a little slower pace, whatever, just spend a lot of quality time with them. You know, I know they abused you. I know they took advantage of you. I know they ripped you off. I know, I know they cheated on you. I know they stole from you. But hey, you know, the forgiveness means to be reconciled. So you guys got to be fishing buddies. You got to be golfing. No. Forgiveness is you're doing it. You're doing it for you. You're not doing it for them. It's like you have this hook in you and it's a, a fishing string and you're just cutting the string so you can relieve the tension and you pull the hook out and there's a little mark and there's a scar there. That's what it costs you. They're free to go, and you don't need to talk to them. You don't need to have fellowship with them. You don't need to have go lunch with them. You don't have to do anything. You forgive them for your sake, and for God's sake, forgive people, and for your sake. I could say that in church. <laughs> for God's sake, forgive people. So you're not, you're not, you're, yeah, just read that again if you get a chance. <laughs> go to the next quote. Forgiveness is the fragrance that... The violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Go to the next slide. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Go to the next slide. Unforgiveness and bitterness is like drinking poison all the while hoping that the other person will die. To err is human, to forgive is divine. Alexander Pope. So you kind of get the idea. You forgive others for you. And let's face it, you have been forgiven, and you have the forgiver of enemies that lives in you. You know, the Apostle Paul said, if I forgive anything, I forgive it in the person of Christ. He said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And so we can forgive through the person of Christ, even to the vilest of people. And again, you don't need to be friends with them. You just need to do it for your sake. If you don't, that, that resentment and that bitterness is just going oh, to eat you up and eat you up. Now, so praise the Lord that when Jesus went to the cross, he said, it is finished. And praise the Lord that what we have um, is forever final forgiveness. We have that. Praise the Lord that Jesus died once for all and for all of our sins. He, he actually he caught them all. It's not up to you to catch them all. 
He did it. He got them all. There's not one that's going to slip past the goalie. Let's face it, too. Let's just put this in context. You can't get to heaven uh, being imperfect, and no one could make themselves perfect. I know religion tries to get you to try to do that, but that's, that's just sideways energy. It's a smoke screen. You'll never do it. You'll never do it. You'll never be able to accomplish it. It's like, it's like the Catalina jump. You know, I've used this just about every year at this time. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when they do the Catalina jump from Long Beach and they try to jump out to get out to Catalina Island, which is, what, 24 miles away, some people get further and some people get less far and some people really train and some people really put all their all into it and some people dress up and some people don't. Some people ride bikes off the pier. Some people look really dumb. Some people look really skilled. But the bottom line is no one's making it to Catalina Island. Some people try really, 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 really hard to clean up their life and to make themselves presentable to their God, whatever it is. And some people do better than others. They just do. But everyone falls short. No one's making the jump. So Jesus had to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He, here's what, it, I don't know if it's a quote but on the screen, but Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owe a debt we cannot pay. We couldn't pay it. Go to the next, I think it's the next slide. Go to the next slide. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owe a debt we could not pay. We didn't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. We don't even have the right currency. And we couldn't do it with good intentions. We just couldn't pull it off. And some look better than others in their attempts to do it, but they're vain and futile at best. The best of men are still men at best, and they're not getting there by good effort or good works or good intentions. Jesus had to do it for us. So as Christians in the New Covenant, this is the next slide, uh, we will not only have a new future but a new past. Our sins are not only totally forgiven, but they are completely forgotten. And I think I said this earlier, but I'm going to requote this one. Go to the next slide. Forgiveness, it's once for all or nothing at all. Any middle ground is an insult to the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to end with this. I'm going to just end with this thought. All means all, and that's all that it means. So how many sins did Jesus promise to forgive, forget, remove, blot out, erase, pay for, die for, cast behind his back, put in the depths of the sea, remove as far as the east is from the west, and completely redeem, reconcile, and remember no more? All of your sins. All of your sins. And I know I'm talking to Christians right now, and you're still thinking, perhaps, that's still too good to be true. I hope the gospel does that to you. Grace is so radical, you get something so undeserving that it makes you think, like, where's the fine print? What's the catch? There is no catch. There is no fine print. I mean, the print is in the Bible, and that's all I'm saying. I didn't write it. I just recite it. And God says, you're totally forgiven because Jesus did what he did this week 2,000 years ago. Amen. So some closing verses from Acts and then some others from the New Covenant and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. But Acts chapter 3, verse 19. As this death, burial, and resurrection took place, just within, you know, a, just shortly after that, the statement was said, therefore repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. They immediately take this message and they don't say, hey, rush to the temple, go, go you know, exchange your money with those religious shysters that are going up to up the exchange rate and then get yourself an animal to get your sins forgiven. They're saying, no, we have direct access. The veil was rent. 
Now God's an equal opportunity Savior. He always has been. He's not willing that any should perish. It doesn't matter the male, the female, Jew or Gentile. You could all be one in Christ and you could have access and you could come by faith, not by flesh, not by good works, but you just come just as you are. He died for enemies. And if you believe this, all of your sins could be blotted out. It's a free gift. It costs you nothing, but it costs Jesus his life. If you want to put it that way. Acts 10.43, all the prophets gave him witness that through his name, whoever believes, not achieves, but whoever believes, not behaves, but whoever believes in Jesus shall receive the remission, forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 13 and verse 38, therefore be it known unto you, men and brothers, that through this one is the forgiveness of sins announced to you, and by him all who believe, look at that equal opportunity message, all who believe are justified, look at all means all, justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. In other words, law-keeping, rule-keeping is not going to cut it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, And you being dead in your sins, your inability, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. There, there we go again. All. And then Romans 11, For this is my covenant unto them, where I should take away their sins. Isaiah 43, I even I that blot out your transgressions for my own sake, I will not remember your sins. And then, of course, the classic John 1.29, John the Baptist, that is. He sees Jesus coming and says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So, in conclusion here, hopefully you're kind of seeing the theme there. He blotted your sins. He won't remember your sins. He forgave your sins. And I didn't list them all. There's hundreds of verses on this. He casts them in the depths of the sea. He puts them behind his back. Um, there's so many metaphors that God uses to illustrate all of your sins have been forgiven because Jesus on Palm Sunday rode in on a hoopty donkey. It wasn't a white horse. It wasn't a chariot. He came in on a pinto. And I know, I know horses are pintos. No offense to people that drive pintos. Just don't get rear-ended because they blow up. Right. That was, at least they said that. Anyways, he rode in on the donkey so that he could just walk up to a cross. Of course, they dragged him up there. They nailed him. And, but he gave his life willingly. And the reason why he laid down his life for us is so that he could rise from the dead and then deposit his life within us so that we could do life together. We don't have a religion. We have a relationship. Christ in you. Look, God doesn't dwell in this building. When you go, God goes with you. We're, just, we're gathered collectively right now as a bunch of like, people filled with his life. But wherever you go, God goes with you. And so wherever you go, God goes. Now, when it comes to forgiveness, as I wrap this up by way of application and conclusion, we'll never give out which we do not know or do not have. If you don't know about forgiveness and you don't have forgiveness, you're probably, you know, you're probably not going to give out that type of forgiveness if you haven't received that type of forgiveness. Now, if we don't know, uh, we, uh, we are a forgiven people, we will not be that much of a forgiving people. So Jesus teaches us that to whom much is forgiven, 
much love. And if we know little of God's love and forgiveness, we'll only dole out and give out a little bit of his love. So the death of Christ is only half of the gospel. That's the, that's the first part of the coin, but you flip it over, then Easter Sunday, next Sunday, is the second half of the gospel. We're just talking about the first half, the death. But this week, he was also buried. And then this next Sunday, which is the first day of the week, he rose from the dead. And if that didn't happen, really, let's just close the doors. I mean, come on. <laughs> let's, just, let's just call it a day and go fishing. Eric's like, amen. <laughs> so Jesus gave his life for us so that he could put his life in us so that he could live his life through us and to forgive others around us and through us. So Jesus living through us is a loving life and a forgiving life for us and for those around us. So we're to forgive as we have been forgiven. So we have received an expensive yet free to us offer of forgiveness. Have you accepted it? It's yours to accept or to reject. It's free to you. There really is no strings connected to it. You receive the forgiveness. First, you have to admit that you've, you need it. Like some people think, you know, they're too cool for Sunday school. I don't want to make ice cream in Sunday school. <laughs> too good for that. There's some people that, you know, they think they're pretty awesome. They're the greatest thing since like canned beer, or sliced bread, or whatever. And they're like, you know, God's so, God's so glad to have me, or whatever. I don't know. There's just a lot of people just, the, the Pharisees thought that. that. I mean, we're talking about a people, there's a whole segment of people that didn't need Jesus. And Jesus said, those that hold don't need a physician, but those that are sick do. And that's what his point was. If you, if you realize, you know what, I don't, I, enough of the training. I'm not going to jump from Long Beach to Catalina. Enough. When you finally wear out and you're like, okay, you tap out and you're like, okay, I, okay, okay, I admit it. I'm not going to make it on my own. Then we, that's where grace enters in. And then you receive something that we do not deserve, and it's a gift. And there's no strings attached. There's none. So we received an expensive yet free-to-us offer from God to us. If you've received this offer... Have you been offended since then? Have you been hurt? Have you been abused? Have you been mistreated by others? If so, forgive others as you have already been forgiven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and be dismissed um, at a word of prayer.